In pre preparation for uh, Brother Shannon's lesson, I'd like for you to follow along as I read the scripture reading. It's found in Colossians 4, verses 7 through 17, and it's on page 1047 in your pew Bible. I'll be reading from the uh, New King James Version. Colossians 4, 7 through 17. Tishkinus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will make known to you all things which are happening here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God, who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you always laboring fervently for you in prayer that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Eropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphos and the church that is in his house. Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being with us. We have several that are camping together this weekend at Fall Creek Falls. We have about a hundred that go and enjoy fellowship together over the weekend. And, and they even go around the campgrounds on Saturday and they invite all that are camping there to come and be a part of their worship service on Sunday morning. And so it's kind of uh, become a, a blend of of a vacation as well as evangelism to some degree. And that's a wonderful thing when folks take the Lord with them everywhere that they go. And we're glad that you've come here today to worship and serve God together. And our time together, we pray, will be what God wants it to be, but also an encouragement to us uh, that, that we too would receive a benefit from worshiping God. It is Memorial Day weekend. Uh, by definition, if we were to look that up in the dictionary, it would be something like a national holiday in America celebrated the last Monday of every May. It used to be called Decoration Day. It's to give honor to the memory of those that have military personnel that have died during war times. You know, today there will be some remembering their loved ones, or this weekend that uh, this will be the first time that Memorial Day has come to be a factor of hitting home with them. As this past year, there have been many died in the line of service that were American soldiers. 
I was reminded of that even more so as I read a report from Captain Brad Rudder. He is the son-in-law of Pat and Tony Huddleston, and he occasionally throughout the year that he has just spent in Afghanistan sent out reports, uh, just very informative of things that he was doing, and, and of course, as you would not be surprised to hear how different it is from what is publicized on television and all the good that's taking place that is never mentioned here in the States and etc. And so it's really informative to read his reports uh, throughout the year. But as I thought about Memorial Day weekend, I couldn't help but think about his last report uh, that he sent out this week. And he talked about in his area where he works in the offices, he came in one morning and there were two desks that were vacant. There was a sergeant sitting there at her desk and she was crying. And she said, you haven't heard, have you? And he said, no. She said, we've lost a bird this morning. And, and those two, and motioned to the desk there, their co-workers, said, those two have died. And then I would like to read to you out of the paragraph as they started identifying. He says, A box of dog tags that had been recovered by our unit at the scene had been flown up with the bodies. Since it was our area and my guys who had sent the tags forward, I went to the office of the commander whose pilot and crew were flying the crashed birds to get the tags so that the division personnel office could start the ID process. When I got back to the office... We went into a conference room and opened the box and spread the contents out into the table. There were some dog tags that were in perfect condition. Some were melted and black. There was also a couple of leather flight badges from the crew, a charred cell phone. And the most haunting item that was recovered was a yellow construction paper cutout of a duck, blackened from the fire around the edges, made with a small child's picture laminated to it. From these items, we took the list of people believed to be on board and began crossing off names as they were identified. The crossing off of a name allowed the military to officially notify the family that their loved one was indeed on board and was KIA. An event like this one really brings the personal side of war home. That last phrase, an event like this one, really brings the personal side of war home. Perhaps as we offer our prayers of thanksgiving today and tomorrow, especially as a nation collectively to God, for all the good and the blessings that God has brought upon this nation, let's not forget that it's not just a national holiday, but let's remember the individuals. The individuals that have given the ultimate price of their life for our freedom. And let's remember their families this weekend as they too will no doubt hurt through this process. You know, what I find in life is the challenge to take our eyes off the forest and to see the tree. Maybe we have a hard time doing that Memorial Day. Maybe we have a hard time doing that even in the church where we start looking at everything as a church and we stop seeing the individuals within the church. Maybe we have a hard time doing that with our friends and we just go through day to day thinking about life and we forget about the individuals that make up the surroundings of our life. Back a few weeks ago, we had Friends Day. 
And on Friends Day, we looked at a passage where the great Apostle Paul wrote about some of his friends in Colossians, the fourth chapter, and we looked at about half of that passage. What I'd like for us to do today as we think about the individual, I'd like for us to finish that passage and think about this great preacher, this great missionary, this great writer, this great man of God. But yet, too often times, what we might forget is how awesome of a friend this man was. You see, Paul could go and strive to reach the masses by his mail and by his travels and by his preaching and his teachings. But what's awesome about the life of Paul is that as he strove to reach the masses, he didn't lose sight of the individual. That's why I remind you of a few statistics here. That's why when we read throughout the book of Acts, we read about Paul being linked with over a hundred individuals. He never lost sight of the individual. That's why when we read through the book of Romans, we see him listed the last chapter, the 16th chapter. A lot of people reading through Romans would get to that chapter and say, oh, well that's just a list of individuals, and they would flip right beyond it, but not Paul, and not being inspired by the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit being inspired by the Holy Spirit, he didn't cross over, he didn't skip that. Instead, he stopped and he gave reference to 26 individuals. And now we come to the very short writing of the book of Colossians. It's only four chapters long. And in these four chapters, almost one-fourth of the book is dedicated to him speaking of individuals. A couple weeks ago, we looked at Tychicus. Paul remembered him as one that was able to give great comfort into the lives of others about him. He mentioned him for several other reasons also. We see as we read on another verse, we see Onesimus. He was that great convert, the runaway slave that was going home. What joy it brought into Paul of life, into the life of Paul, that one was turned his life around, and that he was a convert. He was one going home. Third, we read about Aristarchus, that loyal friend, that it just seems like every time that his name is mentioned, there was some kind of severe time going on in the life of Paul. The question would be, would he stay beside Paul or would he abandon Paul? What a great friend as he stood by the side of Paul throughout all of that. And then John Mark, the overcomer, the one that abandoned during the first missionary journey, but later in life he would write one of the books of the New Testament. And later in life he would be one that Paul would say that they ought to welcome there in Colossae, that he'd be great for their work. And then finally, toward the end of his life, he is asking him to come to him because he wanted him to be a partner in his ministry. These are just a few that we've mentioned in the past weeks. But let's notice a quiet servant here as we go back to our text in Colossians, the fourth chapter. Look again, if you will, in verse 11. And notice it said, as it was so capably read just a moment ago, and Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are the circumcision. They have proved to be comfort to me. Now, if you'll notice verse 11 started with the word and. You see, he was linking that to Mark, who when Mark was to come into their area, they were to welcome him. In other words, he was going to be profitable. But then he says, and also Jesus Justice. You see, the name here, Jesus Justice, is that link between the Jewish name and the Roman name, just like John Mark. And so when we say, well, what is it that he appreciated about him? What's interesting is he's pretty, pretty quiet about him. 
In other words, he knew that he was a servant. As a matter of fact, he said of all of those of the Jews of the circumcision, he's one of those servants that brings a great bit of comfort to me. But isn't it interesting out of the other ones where he gave very specific details about the impact that these individuals had on the life of Paul. This one, maybe Paul could not honestly think of, of a specific detail. Whereas Jesus' justice made that particular impact upon the life of Paul. But yet when it was all said and done, as he studied this over in his mind, he knew that he was one of those individuals that had made such an impact in his life. What's the point? Every great church, every great congregation is made up of a lot of quiet servants. A lot of individuals that we might really have a difficult time putting our finger upon exactly all the things that they do. Do you realize that when we work around this facility almost every day of the week, we see you come and go. I can look over this audience and I can see individuals that you see in this place and in and out of this place and delivering things to this place or delivering things from this place on a weekly basis. Do you realize that most of you don't know who those others are? You see, they're quiet servants. You're not going to see them before a crowd. You're not going to know all the things that they do. But wow. All the things that they do. Are you a quiet servant? Or are you the type of servant that when you do something, you feel like it needs to be announced? When you help a friend, do you feel like that you need to give a reminder to that friend of, hey, you remember I just did this for you? How wonderful a friendship is when there's quiet friends. How wonderful a congregation is when there's a lot of quiet servants. Look with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. In 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, this is the passage where he's talking about the church is, is like a physical body, and we're all different members, but we make up one body. And in this, he describes the importance of every member appreciating each other and every member re recognizing the fact that we do have various abilities. In other words, we're not all going to be hands. We're not all going to be feet or eyes or ears or, or noses. But yet, we all are important and we all belong to the body of Christ. But really, that's not as much why I'm having us to turn to this passage, but it's just after that explanation is given Paul brings up something else of great importance, and that is about the worth of each other and how God would deem worth upon others. Look with me, if you will, at the 22nd chapter and at 22nd verse of the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians. And, and I've told you kind of what has been building up to this point. And now, having said that, let's go into verse 22. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it. Well, why does that part lack honor? It could be that that part lacked honor because no one in the church knew all of the things that that individual was doing. 
More than once, I've had someone to respond to the invitation, sit down on the front seat and tell me, a big encouragement why I'm here today is because so-and-so has never quit writing me notes of encouragement. Nobody else in that church, including myself, knew that that, in, that person was continually writing those notes of encouragement. And so we can't bestow greater honor upon someone that we do not know what they do, but God says, I can. For those that you do not know to bestow greater honor, God says, don't worry about it. You don't have to keep the checks and balances. God said, I can take care of that. I can bestow the greater honor upon them. You see, God here is not encouraging us to, to wave our hands at everybody, to get attention about, look how much I've done. God is encouraging us to realize how wonderful it is when everybody works and they don't care who receives the glory except God. They just want to make sure that God receives the glory. I have used this as an illustration before, but allow me to do it again because I think it helps us think about how important quiet servants are. Having said that in this passage here, I can't help when I read this passage, but think about if God were to set everyone in order based upon the honor that He gives them, based upon the service that they've rendered to His kingdom, who would be sitting on the front seat? Now, this isn't very important for you and I to judge one another. That's not the importance of the exercise. The importance of the exercise is for us to realize that God knows and God bestows honor. But you know, if God came down right now and said, here we are, the Mount Juliet Church of Christ, we're going to start on these very front pews and I'm going to bring down those that I've bestowed the greatest honor upon in this congregation, you and I would probably be surprised who's sitting on these front seats. We'd probably be surprised who was on the second seat and third seat, and we might be shocked at who was sitting on the back seat. But isn't it wonderful? We don't have to judge that. We all work together, and we work to God's glory. In Colossians, the fourth chapter, Jesus' justice, there wasn't a lot said about him individually, but Paul recognizes that this was a servant and a servant that brought great comfort into his life. And how awesome it is when we have servants that bring great comfort into our life, even though they may do it in some very quiet ways. But then I suppose if I had to pick out a favorite out of this list, and it just might be one of Paul's favorites because he says about as much about this one individual as anyone in this list. Let's read again about Epaphras in verse 12. Epaphras, who was one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you. Now I want you to notice these words here, very important. Always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Now, Epaphras was an awesome and talented man. I don't want us to paint a picture of, of a man you say, well... There's nothing else he could do but pray. No, when we go back to the very first chapter, he could do other things as well. As a matter of fact, in the very first chapter, in verse 7, he says, and you also learned 
from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. Now, we picked up in the middle of a sentence there, and the sentence leading up to that, Paul was saying to them, I've heard about your faith, love, and hope, and I know that this has come through the gospel, and that's the gospel that you have learned from Epaphras, a fellow servant. So you see, Epaphras was a tremendous man. He was a great teacher. He must have been a powerful preacher. But yet, as Paul closes out this, it's interesting that that's not where he places his emphasis. He places his emphasis of appreciation at this point to say, I want to tell you about a man that always labored fervently in prayer for you. Do you have anyone in your life that's always praying for you? That's a comfort, isn't it? You know, that's one good thing about Christian mothers. It's just something about Christian mothers. They always labor fervently for their children in prayer. And what a difference it makes. Let's think about this word always. That reminds me of, of that passage that when the teacher told you to memorize a verse in the Bible, and do you remember you ran to 1 Thessalonians 5, 17? Pray without ceasing. Always laboring in prayer. What did he do? He prayed without ceasing. Now we can't pray 24-7 with a, a, a prayer literally falling from our lips every moment of every day. We have to eat, we have to sleep, we have to do other things. So what, what is God saying when he says, I want you to pray without ceasing? What is, what is Paul saying when he says, I want to tell you about a man that he never stopped praying for you? No doubt it's talking about an attitude here. An attitude where the prayer is so frequently that an individual does not believe that they can live on this earth without praying. Daniel was a man that prayed without ceasing. And whenever his life was endangered, if he continued to pray, he wasn't going to stop praying because he was a man that prayed without ceasing. And so it is. I think that we are in a congregation of people that many, many in this congregation pray without ceasing. Maybe you don't have a mother that prays for you without ceasing. Isn't it wonderful to know that you have brothers and sisters in Christ that pray for you without ceasing? Isn't it wonderful to know that you have an eldership that prays for you without ceasing? Paul says, as he looks beyond the forest and he looks to one individual... And it's almost as if he were saying, I want to tell you why I love Epaphras. He was a man that always labored fervently in prayer. Now that terms, those terms there, labored fervently in prayer in the original writing is, is only one word. If you look back in your Bible, uh, back in Colossians, you see that this was also back in the second chapter, the very last verse of the chapter. I'm sorry, it would be the first verse of the second chapter and the last verse of the first chapter. He spoke about laboring and striving according to his work. And then also he spoke about in the first verse, for I want you to know what great conflict I have for you. 
You see, these words of striving and these words of great conflict, one is the exact word where he says striving there, and then of great conflict is a root of this same word where he says, I'm laboring fervently for you. It is that same mindset of what we studied last Sunday morning when in 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, we studied that passage that's written with athletic terms. And we studied where you strive for the master. And, and that striving there is the idea of their games where they were in competition for, against another and they had to give great intensive labor to win the battle. And here we say, well, what was Epaphras doing? He wasn't just praying frequently, but he was laboring in this prayer. Prayer to him wasn't something casual. Prayer to him was something that he labored fervently in this prayer. He knew that those of Colossae, and by the way, at this point, he lived a long way from Colossae, and he knew that he couldn't go to them and strengthen them in person at this point. But he knew that he could be actively involved in their life by being very diligent in his prayer life. I want to encourage you. Don't ever say the words, just pray. I hope you and I can form a prayer life where we realize that prayer is one of the most powerful things that we could do so that those words would never roll off of our lips. What can I do to help you? Oh, there's nothing you can do, just pray. I, I understand what is trying to be communicated through that. Probably all of us have said that at one time or another. But friends, when we always labor fervently in prayer, that's not just praying. That is a tremendous undertaking that probably produces some of the most powerful things in the life of another individual that we could ever do to help them. All of us that come home at the end of a day giving a lot of muscle work and sweat and energy to help a friend do something. When's the last time we've gone to bed at night worn out from praying for a friend? Paul, tell us what you love about Epaphras. He always labored fervently. Why? He wanted them to be able to stand. He wanted them to be perfect. He wanted them to be complete. He wanted them, in other words, to move to spiritual maturity. And he believed that what he could do to help that was that he could be that prayer warrior. He was going to be intensive about his prayers for those people. Now, we've got to tack this on with Epaphras. Notice as we go into 13, he said, For I bear him witness. Paul's still speaking about him. He says, I want to tell you what I've seen with my own two eyes. I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and for those in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. Who would actually become a prayer warrior for another person? What fires you up? Now, I'm not saying it can't be more than one thing. I think there's several things that can fire us up. So in your mind, if you're going to make a list, say, hey, here's some things that fire me up. I get excited when I think about these things. 
You know, for some of you, it might be an athletic team. UT football or Titans football or maybe a basketball team or, a, or Atlanta Braves. And you say, boy, I get fired up when I think about that. I think about when can I go to a game. I think about whether the win or lose. And I think about what next season's going to be like. Just get fired up about it. Maybe you have a hobby you love. And you think, I just can't wait to the next time that I can participate in that. The next time I can work on that. The next time I can enjoy doing that. And you just get fired up. Paul sits back and says, I want to tell you what I've seen with my own two eyes. This guy, Epaphras, he gets fired up praying for you guys. He has a great zeal for you. And not only you, also those over in Laodicea and also those in Hierapolis. Who are those people? They're his Christian friends. Remember, he was the one that came into Colossae and taught them the gospel. And so he has Christian friends scattered about. And you can imagine Paul, can you imagine Paul and Epaphras sitting down and praying together? I can imagine that. I know it doesn't say it here, but I can imagine that happening. And I can just imagine at the end of the prayer, Paul thinking to himself, that guy's so passionate about his Christian friends. He loves them so much. Let's make sure that we're the kind of friends that gets passionate about our friends growing closer to God. And let's make sure that that passion is seen by our fervent prayers for them. Just a couple of weeks ago, my phone, phone rung, and uh, Miss Bobby Chandler was on the other end. She said, David, I hate to interrupt you, but I've just got to tell somebody. I'm so excited. I said, what is it? She said, you know, ever since I've moved to Mount Juliet from, from Hoover, Alabama, she said, one of my dear friends had fallen away from the Lord. She said, you know, I thought to myself, one thing I can definitely do is pray all the time for her. She said, I'm so excited. She said, I just got word the other day. She was restored. She's back faithful to God again. And I was just so excited I had to tell somebody. And I thought to myself, that's Epaphras. A man that had such great zeal that everybody knew the love that he had for Christians and everybody knew that he loved them so much that he labored fervently, always labored fervently in prayer for them. What a friend. What a friend. As we close out this, let's just mention the other individuals and then extend the Lord's invitation. If you'll notice in our text this morning, we read also in verse 14 of Luke, Luke was a multi-talented man. He was a great skilled physician. He was a missionary traveling along with Paul. But he was a man that every time we see his talents, he was using them for God's glory. Next, we read of Demas. Demas is mentioned three times in the Scripture. And the sad thing about Demas is that the first two times he's mentioned in Scriptures, he's mentioned as a fellow servant, a faithful Christian. But the last time that he's mentioned, Paul would say in his last chapter that he wrote that Demas has forsaken me having loved the present world. Sad discourse. I hope he returned 
but the scriptures doesn't tell us whether or not he did. It may be that that's the way he left the world, separated from his God. But then finally in 17, we read about Archippus. And he was a man that God was, through Paul here, writing of inspiration, challenged him to take advantages of the opportunities that were within his reach. That too stands out as one very significant to me. Take advantage of the opportunities that are within your reach. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song of invitation. And it's the Lord's invitation. It's not man's invitation. And it's not some kind of a denominational invitation. It's the Lord's invitation. And the Lord's giving you an opportunity to make your life right with Him. Will you do that this morning? If you've allowed sin to separate you from God, and all of us are sinners, the question is, have we been forgiven? As a believer, are you willing to repent of sins and confess that Jesus is the Son of God and be baptized into Christ for the mission of your sins? Maybe you've been baptized into Christ and somewhere along the way, something in your life, you've allowed yourself to separate from God. Won't you come back to Him this morning and pray forgiveness? You see, sometimes we look too broadly when we ought to be seeing the individual. That's true not only in the church, and in friendships. Friends, that's also true in life. As we sing this invitation song, I'm not asking you to think about your whole life. I'm asking you to think about you and your relationship with God. And if it's not right, don't use excuses in the past as reasons not to submit to Him. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.